The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. You know, the Democrat Party has long been siding with radical Islam, although they don't want to admit it. But these days, it's becoming even more apparent. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. It's amazing when you really break down all of the ties, their support for Palestine, their support for Iran. It's scary that a, that a political party has basically allowed themselves to be hijacked. You've got more anti-Semitism running through the Democrat Party. Just go online. Talk about Israel and watch the leftist just throw vile hatred of Israel, of Jews, all at you. Which is really funny because there is a contingency within the Democrat Party that are Jewish. Now, there's a history, and I don't want to go into it because that's a whole nother show. I'm Adrian Slade, by the way. Um, the, there's a breakdown of back when the Holocaust occurred and when Israel was uh, you know, reestablishing itself, there was a group that actually wanted Kiev to be the center of where the Jewish nation should be. And a lot of them fell into the Democrat Party. But because that, at the time, was a communist <laughs> enclave. I mean, that's where communism was thriving. Russia, Stalin, you know, that's, uh, even though Ukraine was a part of it at that time, that's the Soviet Union. And so there are Jews in the Democrat Party, while the Democrat Party is anti-Semitic. <laughs> it's amazing. And so when you see people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib get up there and they spout out their anti-Semitism, we're supposed to just not pounce or not seize on it. We're supposed to just say, oh, we took them out of context. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into some really amazing remarks by Rashida Tlaib. Remember, she was the House of Representative who was voted in as a part of the freshman class with Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she's the one that showed up in a Palestinian garb and she swore herself in on the Koran. What's interesting is her views of the Holocaust and, and how the anti-Semitism on the left mirrors the Labor Party anti-Semitism in, in the United Kingdom. But before we get into that, check this out from the New York Post. Obama sent Palestinians 221 million hours before leaving office. Officials say the Obama administration in its waning hours defied Republican opposition and quietly released $221 million to the Palestinian Authority that the GOP members of Congress had been blocking. A State Department official and several congressional aides said the outgoing administration formally notified Congress it would spend the money Friday. The official said former Secretary of State John Kerry had informed some lawmakers of the move shortly before he left the State Department for the last time. 
The aides had written notification that was dated January 20th, sent to Congress just hours before Donald Trump took his oath of office. In addition to the $221 million for the Palestinians, the Obama administration told Congress it was going ahead with the release of another $6 million in foreign affairs spending, including $4 million for climate change programs and $1.25 million for U.N. organizations, the congressional aides stated. The aides and the State Department official weren't authorized to speak publicly on the matter and demanded anonymity. Congress initially had approved the Palestinian funding in budget years 2015 and 2016, but at least two GOP lawmakers, Ed Royce of California, chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and Kay Granger of Texas, who sits on the House Appropriations Committee, had placed holds over moves for the Palestinian Authority. And congressional holds generally are respected by the executive branch, but they're not legally binding after the funds have been allocated. The Obama administration for some time had been pressing for the release of the money, which comes from the U.S. Agency of International Development, and is said, said to be used for humanitarian aid in West Bank and Gaza for the Palestinian Authority. So the Obama administration, even though the GOP, who at the time controlled Congress, didn't want that money to go, although there was a fair amount of them, which I'm really surprised did, but they went ahead and did it anyways. Just walking out the back door, we're going to slam that door in your face. Because when you give the money to the Palestinian Authority, you're not doing it for humanitarian aid, although it's being said that that's what it's being used for. You're doing it to fuel Hamas. You're doing it to place military pressure on Israel. Now, this is the same administration that was giving pallets of cash back to Iran in their Iran nuclear deal. And of course, you know, the media all over that one. If pallets full of cash fell in the Iranian woods and the media was not there to hear it, did it ever really happen? That's basically how our news operates. <laughs> That's the news media's modus operandi. Let's just not report it on it, and it never happened. And then if, say, you or I or somebody who is in conservative media finds links and, and finds information and wants to break the story, well, then they're vilifying you. They're, they're calling your venture illegitimate. Oh, it's conservative fake news. So they delegitimize you when you put that information together. And that's why the news media has become a propaganda machine. But really, when you look at Iran and when you look at the Obama administration and how they handled Palestine, how they handled Israel, how Obama snubbed Netanyahu at almost every turn. When you look at those things and then you see what the Trump administration does in relation to the Middle East and what's happening with Iran and the Saudi oil tankers that were sabotaged recently, it's amazing what a difference an administration change makes. The White House reviews a plan to deploy 
120,000 troops to the Middle East. 120,000 troops could be headed to the Middle East as tensions with Iran boil over. At the New York Times reports the White House is considering an even stronger military response if Tehran attacks U.S. troops or intensifies its nuclear program. Well, this comes hours after the president's stern warning from the Oval Office. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a bad problem for Iran if something happens, I can tell you that. They're not going to be happy. They are not going to be happy people. Okay? You can figure it out yourself. They know what I mean by it. Yeah, those strong words, to say the least, following the sabotage of four Saudi Arabian oil tankers. Military officials believe Iran was responsible. Now, the U.S. has sent an American aircraft carrier and B-52 bombers to the Middle East to counter possible threats from Iran. So the Trump administration taking Iran head on. The Hill actually wrote this. Acting Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan presented the White House with a plan to send up to 120,000 troops to the Middle East in the event that Iran escalates tensions. The Times reported that National Security Advisor John Bolton issued an order for the plans, and the proposal does not include a ground invasion, which would require many more troops. The plan was ordered to prepare in the event that Iran attacks American forces or accelerates the development of nuclear weapons. It's largely driven by Bolton, who has pushed for more aggressive action against Iran under both Trump and former President George Bush. Now, realize a lot of people will cite John Bolton as being the issue And the problem for what happened with Iraq and Afghanistan, because they think he's a war hawk under what he did with George W. Bush's administration. And yeah, he does have a strong stance against the Middle East. But remember, it was the Obama administration who furthered what was happening in Iraq and basically gave Baghdad over to Iran. I mean, the Iran runs Iraq now. So. We have to look at the fact that the Obama administration was more than happy to assist Iran at every turn. Why is that? Is it his hatred for Israel? Is it that big? The anti-Semitism on the left has always been there. Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, this is not new. Although they're more transparent about it. Now, these Saudi tankers were attacked, and it's now coming out that Iran was probably the culprit. And at the same time that we have this going on, you have people such as, oh, Alyssa Milano, Sam Maselli, rears her ugly head again. She used to be hot. I don't know what the hell happened there. But she's got anyone else freaking out about this? Raise your hand if you're freaking out about this. Quote tweeting a reporter citing this plan to send 120,000 troops to the Middle East. Well, you know... I remember there being somebody who was talking about the cycle of presidents when it goes from Democrat to Republican back to Democrat. And I remember them saying, it's funny because always under the Democrat president, enemies are emboldened around the world while we play with stupid things like transgender bathrooms and and gays in the military. And we, we come up with these stupid little arguments And then what happens is a Republican gets elected and has to clean up the mess. They have to walk in like the adult in the room and clean up the mess. And then they get vilified for showing the strength and being the one to do the cleanup and showing their tenacity. And there is some truth to that. We have to remember, yeah, the Republican Party is just uh, Democrat light. 
But when it comes to foreign policy, there is some national security interest that they hold dear, and they always have to step in to clean the mess up. So Trump sending out 120,000 troops out towards Iran just as a show of, of strength. Everybody's like, well, he's sending troops out. He's going to get us into another war. No, we have to show some strength because we didn't when Obama administration basically let ISIS overrun Syria and turn that into a giant mess. But we're not even taking that that measure, that measured look at home, on our homeland. The FBI just discovered an Islamic Jihad compound in Alabama. The FBI search warrant described the land looked like an abandoned dump with a makeshift military-style obstacle course. The terror training group was led by who? Sirha Wahaj. Remember that guy? We talked about him before. We talked about Sirha Wahaj. I think it's the junior because the seniors, uh, I think the senior is in jail. I can't remember, but he was a part of the Blind Sheik's attack on the World Trade Center 1993 bombing in the uh, parking garage of the World Trade Center. Well, they busted Sirha Wahaj, the training camp in New Mexico, where he was grooming kids to be school shooters. And now we run into it again in Alabama. It's like he's got a franchise of freaking terror bases all across the country. And we've got to take this seriously at some point. At some point, we've got to really step in and say, um, we've got a problem not only abroad with Iran and with some of the terror factions that Al-Qaeda, what have you, that are wanting to attack us here in the homeland, but we've got an issue here at home. That's why border security is such a big deal because of Hezbollah and because of Hamas, and because of MS-13 working in, in tandem with them. We really need to take these things head on. Now, the left has been spouting how much they can't stand Israel and how much Palestine should basically take over the Jewish nation. I mean, they're not going to say it. They're going to say, oh, well, we're talking about a two-state solution. Listen to Representative Rashid Tlaib this is from a podcast on you on Yahoo called Skullduggery. <laughs> should be Skullfuggery because you should just beat your head up against a wall and crack your skull when you listen to these idiots talk because they're the most naive people in the world. But listen to her talk about the Holocaust and the one state solution and how Palestine was just so philanthropic, so giving and charitable to the Jewish people. Congresswoman, you've created something of a stir by coming out in favor of a one-state solution in Israel and Palestine. Um, and I think you may be the only uh, Democrat who's publicly supported a one-state solution. So what is your vision uh, for a one-state solution that meets both uh, uh, Palestinian and um, Israeli or Jewish national aspirations? Absolutely. And let me tell you, I mean, for me, just uh, a few, uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks, when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, um, their existence in many ways, have been wiped out on some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post um, the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific um, 
persecution of Jews across the world at that time. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. Um, But they did it in a way that took their human dignity away, right? And it was forced on them. And so when I think about uh, one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way where, and, and I don't want people to do it in the name of Judaism, just like I don't want people to use Islam in that way. It has to be done in a way of values around equality and around the fact that you shouldn't oppress others so that you can feel free and safe. Why can't we all be free and safe together? You know, you know what a one state solution is? That's called a final solution. Adolf liked that idea quite a bit. And you know, there are Palestinians who actually live in Israel, and the Jewish people allow it. When they see them, I've seen videos of it. They embrace them. You know, they're charitable to them. I'm sure there's probably a few that may be conflicted with them. But all in all, the Palestinians that live in Israel go, uh, you know, they're pretty free to do as they want to do. But on the other hand, there's no Jewish people living in what's considered Palestine, which isn't real, you know? And it's funny how she goes on to say, well, you know, to celebrate the Holocaust, it may have been a slip up. I doubt it though. Rashida Tlaib gets that. She gets that peaceful, easy feeling. Was that the Eagles? She gets that comfortable feeling because the Palestinians were just so charitable that they assisted the Jews but they were being coerced by the UN to give land to the Jews. So even though they were being charitable, it came as a price to them. Passports being destroyed and, and things of that nature. That's garbage. You know, the Jews have inhabited that land since the land of Canaan in Genesis, in the Bible. And whether you believe in the Bible or you just think, well, it's, it's a bunch of garbage, it's a bunch of hooey, but it is a good history book. It's still history. You know, they want the one-state solution, but they want it to be inclusive and tolerant, and that'll continue to uh, dupe idiots like that naive skullduggery host. I mean, that guy has just fallen right into it. Oh, really? You, you really think a two-state solution is good or a one-state? Come on, dude. <laughs> I mean, all the morons on the left just seed any sort of logic and reason over to these people. Just listen to this. But a one-state solution with the right of... But a one-state solution with the right of return, uh, I mean, just the math uh, suggests that um, that Jews would become a minority in that state. But Dan, it's not up to us to decide what it looks like, right? Just like when I have my African-American teachers taught me about neighborhoods they couldn't live in, taught me about places they couldn't work, but it's important to understand that separate but equal didn't work here, right? And we have to allow the self-determination to happen there. But for me, that's the lens I bring to it. But I'm not a leader there. But isn't it giving up to, to, to say uh, we're just going to, you know, the idea of a two-state solution with two independent states that uh, are sovereign and, and, uh, and, and, and independent but and free? I didn't, Aren't you I didn't give it up. up I didn't dream? give it up. Netanyahu and his party gave it up. And the Israeli government gave it up. Because and it's not it, worth fighting for anymore. It's, it's, it, it's not me to decide. But just to be it's clear. It's the will of the people. If Netanyahu got up yesterday, tomorrow morning and decides, you know what, I'm going to take down the walls. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, the settle, I'm not going to expand settlements. Enough is enough. I really want to push towards two-state solution. He has every power, every power to do that. 
And then people might like myself and others will truly believe in that. But uprooting um, people all over again to, to say that that's going to happen. Because do you understand when you look at the landscape and just map it out, it, it, it is almost absolutely impossible with how he has proceeded to divide, how he's proceeded to dissect and, and segregate communities, that it is impossible to, uh, for me to see a two-state solution without more people being hurt. Yeah, the Jews will become the minority uh, in a one-state solution because uh, most of them will be exterminated. And the naivety of the skullduggery host and the left doesn't just stop with them. It also includes Late Night with Seth Meyers, too. And Rashida Tlaib doubled down on her comments which is what you do when you're on the left. You double down on her truth. You know, she actually tweeted out, or this was actually a tweet about the late night with Seth, uh, Seth Meyers uh, interview. I got a text message from a friend who's like, hey, next time, you know, really clarify. Maybe talk like a fourth grader because maybe the racist idiots would understand you better. Yeah, just listen to this clip. Incredibly, you know, the tragedy of the Holocaust. I mean, the reason why Israel was created is create a safe haven for Jews around the world. And there is something like in many ways beautiful about that. My ancestors, many had died or had to give up their livelihood, their human dignity to provide a safe haven for, for Jews in our world. And that is something I wanted to recognize and kind of honor in some sort of way. But I also think it's important because I want Palestinian people also to find some sort of, you know, light in this kind of what's happening, but also, you know, in the end, I said, I want all of us to feel safe. All of us deserve human dignity, no matter our backgrounds, no matter our ethnicity, no matter even our political opinions. We all need deserve that kind of equality and justice. And, uh, you know, for me, I wanted to uplift that and, and bring that to light. And it was unfortunate. You know, I got a text message from a friend who's like, hey, next time, you know, really clarify, maybe talk like a fourth fourth grader, because maybe the racist idiots would understand you better. Um, so it's just, you know, I will continue to speak truth to power and continue to uplift my grandmother. Uh, through love. Uh, and that's all I can do is continue to share the human impact of what it means to be Palestinian in the occupied territory. You know, I'm <laughs> I mean, I guess we're all fourth graders. I guess she has to talk down to us because we're stupid as she rewrites history, as she rewrites the fact that the Palestinians were actually working with the Nazis to destroy the Jews. She leaves that part of it out. And Heretz, which is a Jewish news uh, outlet, they're hit and miss with me, but they kind of get into a lot of this, too, when they talk about uh, this from Heretz. Rashida Tlaib is either completely ignorant of history or is a deliberate liar, charged Professor, uh, Professor Benny Morris, one of the leading scholars of the British Mandatory Palestine, the creation of the State of Israel in 1948 and the War of Independence. I mean, she is ignorant of, of history. Morris went on to say Tlaib's ancestors... The Palestinians did nothing to alleviate the suffering of the Jews at the Nazi hands. Rather, the opposite. The Arabs of British Mandatory Palestine during the whole period, supported by the neighboring Arab states, did all they could to prevent the Jews trying to escape Nazi hands from reaching the shores of Palestine. The anti-British and anti-Zionist revolt launched by Palestinian Arabs between 1936 and 1939 both deterred European Jews from escaping to mandatory Palestine and motivated the British rulers to prevent more refugee Jews from entering Palestine as to not inflame the Arabs, he pointed out. 
He also pointed out the leader of the Palestinian Arab nationalist movement, Ha Amin al-Hassani, during his exile in Berlin from 1941 to 45, called for the massacre of Jews in the Arab world on Nazi radio stations, an anti-Jewish jihad, and helped the Nazis recruit Muslims from the Balkans for the SS and the Wehrmacht. I mean, kind of off base there a bit there, Rashida Tlaib. But, I mean, no worries. We're just going to let her rewrite history. So anti-Semitism is really coursing through the veins of the Democrat Party as they get up on every turn, whether it's Ilhan Omar talking about how she's not safe because of the views that she has, you know, whenever there's an Israeli attack by Hamas and Israel responds in kind. You know, Israel goes so far as to give little door-knocking tiny missile shots to get people out of a building before they level it. I mean, they're going out of their way to play the PR game, but then also defend themselves beyond belief. She's going to get out there and say that Israel is controlling politics with money and also controlling the minds and may Allah you know, intervene or what have you. Just keep that in mind when you're looking at these candidates running for office to become the president of the United States, many of them are going to side with what they say. The power that these representatives have gained in the media, gained in the intention of the public eye because of the media bolstering them. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there celebrating both Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar and them using the climate change and the Green New Deal as a way to change our economy while they also push radical Islam in through the Muslim Brotherhood and through CARE, which the Muslim Brotherhood is an offshoot of Hamas. It is the political wing of Hamas. We have to, we have to really be concerned about what's going on with the opposition party, especially when there's this new push of democratic socialist to support them at every turn when they're being groomed in college campuses to support these people. We have to be really bothered and concerned about this. And we have to point it out at every chance we get because it's not going away. It's only ramping it up and it's ramping up overseas too with the labor party in the UK back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. You know, if we're going to sit back and let the leftists, the progressives, basically chastise America, chastise white European Americans for not being indigenous to the country, for not being indigenous to the soil, never mind the fact that that standard is never held, towards Mexicans and the fact that the Spanish came through and took out the Aztecs and the Mayans and what have you. If we're going to sit there and hold this standard for indigenous people, then how come that's never held for the Jewish nation? I mean, they were in the land of Canaan. They have been in that land. They have been run out, brought back in, run out, brought back in. And biblically, it's always been because God has watched them turn from him And they were then allowed to be conquered as a means of reminding them why they need to place their faith in God. And it's happened year after year. I mean, you've got uh, Babylon, you've got, I mean, you've got the Assyrians, 
You know, you had these various forms of these various Holocaust over the centuries in biblical uh, terms, but we also had it right here within the last 70 years with World War II. But for some reason, the Indigenous Peoples Day doesn't get celebrated in Israel. It's never recognized by the left. In fact, they're going to recognize people that don't even, weren't even residing in that area and try to give that, that territory over to them. And the Democrats, you know, they've turned their party over to the, not only the Democratic Socialist, but they've also turned it over to Communist and the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a political wing of Hamas which is affiliated with Iran, which Iran takes their name, Aryan, from a suggestion from Hitler. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty amazing when you think about it. When you get into all of the aspects of the Muslim Brotherhood, you start to really kind of have to question why aren't they on the terrorist list? Why aren't they designated as a terrorist organization? You know, let's talk about the Muslim Brotherhood. Many experts out there, they think the Muslim Brotherhood is more of an Islamist political party than a terrorist group. They see it as a a loose-knit association, not unified in support of terror, but a force for stability in some nations, along with leftist figures like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and what have you. They also see the designation as a blunt instrument that seeks to brand a broad-based movement with millions of supporters as terrorists in a way that is inherently intolerant to Muslims. Now, we see things a little bit differently. And this is actually from an article that I found on the Muslim Brotherhood that basically talks about how it was founded in 1928. And it has always seen itself as a social movement within the Muslim world. And when necessary, it presents itself as a political party. But at its core is an Islamist worldview that sees its purpose as an effort to reject liberal, democratic and more moderate strains of Islam to enforce a strict vision of the faith that is rooted in jihad and intolerance for modernity, seeking to impose Muslim religious law, Sharia law, wherever it can. While it sometimes eschews violence to advance its goals, its commitment to jihad has made it the main force behind the creation of terror groups like Hamas. It links Islamists throughout the world to practitioners of violence in a way that makes that a distinction without a difference. After President Obama acquiesced to the deposition of longtime leader of Egypt, Hassani Mubarak, the United States also gave its approval to elections that brought the Muslim Brotherhood into power in Egypt. And through it, represented itself gullible and shown itself as being amazingly fundamentalist its rule provoked widespread opposition from Egyptians who realized the Brotherhood had no intention of ever allowing itself to be uh, voted out and establishing its totalitarian Islamist vision. Now, the Brotherhood's core beliefs have never been a secret. Its long-term goal is universal Sharia law and the overthrow of the West, as well as Israel. It spawned groups like Hamas and influenced the creation of Al-Qaeda. More to the point, its chief dialogue, Yusuf al Karawadi is an exiled Egyptian cleric who currently helps run the Qatar Foundation. Now, we talked about how conservative media is being funded by Qatar, along with even the leftist media, because they're trying to infect the right way of thinking to moderate 
its stances against the Muslim Brotherhood. Obviously, Donald Trump designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist group is probably a problem for them. They spread their Islamist teachings in support of terror around the globe. The, the Brotherhood is the glue that unites Sunni Muslim terror groups in terms of ideas and action. While Hamas and like-minded groups are the tip of the spear, the effort to maintain a distinction between the terrorist and the rest of the Brotherhood remains entirely artificial. The Brotherhood's social action and political wings operate in such a manner as to support the same violent goals as the terrorist. The Brotherhood has also sought to establish the same false distinctions in its operations in the United States. Brotherhood supporters set up the Holy Land Foundation to fund and fundraise organized for Hamas since the 1990s before the Treasury Department shut it down. That foundation founded the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, who we're going to get into in just a few minutes. That group today masquerades as a respectable civil rights group dedicated to protecting Muslims. So we know CARE is, is an issue because they are like the ACLU of the Islamic community. And when you get into the infestation and the infection of the Muslim Brotherhood with politics, you get things like what happened with Nancy Pelosi allowing an imam, Omar Suleiman, to have his uh, prayer read on the House floor. We offered by the guest chaplain, Imam Omar Suleiman, uh, from the uh, Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research in Irving, Texas. Let us pray. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful, our sustainer, our guide, ever-present, never unaware, infinitely able, your servants in your loving care. Guide us to pure convictions that inspire in us the courage to match those convictions. We pray for peace, not war, Love, not hate. Benevolence, not greed. Unity, not division. And we commit ourselves to not betraying our prayers with actions that contradict them. Let us be for truth, no matter who or for is against it. And justice, no matter who or for it is against. And hope, no matter what obstacles lie ahead. Let us not be deterred by the hatred that has claimed the lives of innocent worshipers across the world, but emboldened by the love that gathered them together to remember you and gathered us together to remember them. Let us not be overcome by the darkness of evil, nor the slumber of indifference that turns human beings into hashtags and neighbors into enemies. Let us be the light that we seek from you. Guide the deliberations of our members of Congress to just decisions and guide our nation to the abode of reconciliation. May we honor one another, glorify you together, and inspire the world to be better. Amen. Now, who is Omar Suleiman? Well, this is from Jewish Post and also from Breitbart. As the 2014 Gaza war broke out, Suleiman said on his social media, how befitting that the third Intifanata starts on the 27th night of Ramadan as worshipers are denied prayer in Mashid al-Aska. He ended his post with a prayer of sorts. God willing, on this blessed night, as the third Intifanata begins, the beginning of the end of Zionism is here. May Allah help us overcome this monster 
protect the innocent of the world, and accept the murdered martyrs. Amen. Huh. Pretty interesting. Here is his take on things like marriage. In the discussion of marital rape. Because in essence, to simplify this from an usuli perspective, if you're talking about it from a law perspective, the only difference between that woman and the woman that came in through marriage is that she came in through the house as a prisoner of war. That's what the ulama say. That's the only difference between the two in that regard as far as treatment is concerned. Just like the man has a right upon his wife and the, and, and the wife has a right upon her husband in regards to intimacy. And the Prophet ﷺ, he warned uh, a person from withholding themselves from their spouse as a means of punishing him, all right, or as a, as a means of, uh, of, of not fulfilling his right. The Prophet ﷺ does not say, if that person does not give you your right, you then have the right to force yourself upon that person and take the right from them. Okay, that person then who doesn't fulfill their right towards you, whether it's a husband towards a wife or a wife towards a husband or a because the scholars also established that that clause goes both ways, by the way. And inshallah, I plan to do a future video on that specific topic of marital rape, uh, whether it's the child on the parent or the parent on the child. You know, if that person does not fulfill that right, it doesn't mean that you have the right to take it forcefully. It means that that person is athem, that person is sinful for not giving you your right. So that's the, that's the most important thing I want you to take from this entire discussion, whether we're talking about the wife or we're talking about mulk that which the right hand possesses, you're not allowed to forcefully take your right from a person in a way that would cause harm. And that's something that's established by the consensus of the ulama, by the consensus of the scholars. And there are early writings that establish that when talking about the wife. And again, the point of using the quote of a Shafi rahimahullah ta'ala is to show you the attitude that the ulama had towards this entire discussion. So yes, uh, I, I would say it again, unequivocally, rape is, would, would not be allowed even in the case of that uh, of a woman that that, uh, that that came in as a prisoner of war. And that's something that's established through all of Wow. Sounds to me like uh, Mr. Suleiman there, he's not down with Alyssa Milano's sex strike, you know? I don't think he's a part of that. He's going to see that as a sin. But that's the interesting thing. He's from the Irving Mosque, which we know has some ties to terror in, in Irving, Texas. Or, or not so much even terror, but Sharia law. They're definitely advocates of Sharia law. But he also said in 2014, Suleiman made a comment on his social media alluding to the anti-Semitic idea that Israel controls American foreign policy. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Ilan Omar. <coughs> Ilan Omar. Claiming that it is the 51st state. In 2017, he also addressed a rally protesting the U.S. Embassy move to Jerusalem, which it is celebrated as a year today, was organized by the American Muslims for Palestine, AMP, a group which seeks to challenge the legitimacy of the state of Israel. He denied the Jewish claim to Jerusalem while speaking at an event. Your recognition means nothing to us, he said. Your maps mean nothing to us. Your embassy is as illegitimate as the occupation. It seeks to legitimize our land is our land. Our dignity is our dignity. Now, what's interesting is Lee Zeldin, he had some thoughts about this person speaking. He said, totally unacceptable that Speaker Pelosi had Omar Suleiman give the opening prayer yesterday in the House. He compares Israel to the Nazis and calls them terrorists, supports the Muslim Brotherhood, incites violence, calling for a Palestinian intifada and an end to Zionism. Bad call. Well, he's also got some interesting 
things as it relates to care, as far as what care and Hamas, he's very pro Hamas. He's very pro care in the Muslim Brotherhood. Some of his some of his BFFs are Linda Sarsour, the Women's March founder. In a 2018 blog post advocating for the AMP, Suleiman said that the tide in the fight for Palestinians is turning. There is no longer one side dominating the political discourse in America, he said. In the last month, referring to December, we heard from newly elected Congressman Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib openly express their support for BDS, boycott, divest, sanction, and Palestinian rights. So he's for the boycott sanction and divestment movement and you know who else is on a bigger level well that would be care so care is on a measured jihad for lack of a better term to pressure charities to blacklist conservative nonprofits. this is from pj media on friday the first day of the islamic holy season of ramadan the Hamas-linked Anti-Israel Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, released a report condemning mainstream charities and philanthropic groups or allowing donors to contribute to conservative organizations. CARE and the Southern Poverty Law Center have accused of uh, groups of being hate groups comparable to the KKK. This is particularly rich as CARE was an unindicted co-conspirator in the terror funding case involving the Palestinian terror group Hamas. The report, hijacked by hate, American philanthropic and Islamophobia networks, insist philanthropic foundations, many of them mainstream, were used by anonymous special interest donors to funnel almost $125 million to anti-Muslim hate groups between 2014 and 2016. CARE found 1,096 organizations funding 39 groups they accuse of fomenting Muslim hate. Now, we really need to look into the fact that they're putting pressure on all types of funding mechanisms, such as MasterCard, such as Stripe. You know, what's interesting is they've gone after the Center for uh, Law and Justice, the American Center for Law and Justice, the ACLJ, and the Center for Security Policy, the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and others. And the Southern Poverty Law Center is currently struggling with racism and sexual harassment scandals, dealing a critical blow to its credibility. The CARE National Research and Advocacy uh, Advocacy Management Group, um, or manager, Zanib Arin, claimed to in a report that aims to make it easy, auto-identify connections, and empower decision makers to make informed choices about who they partner with, in other words, the report aims to blackmail charitable organizations into blacklisting conservative organizations on the spurious grounds that they are terroristic hate groups. It is our hope that with sustained action, institutional collaboration, and dedicated will, a community of progressive and mainstream allies will emerge to push the Islamophobia network back to the fringe of our society where odious and incendiary speech belong. So <laughs> he's got a pretty uh, hardcore mission there. He wants to not lose the ground that they have gained over the last few years, especially under the Obama administration. I mean, heck, they've gained all types of ground. Now, CARE's founder, Nihad Awad, and co-founder, Omar Ahmad, were previously involved with the Islamic Association of Palestine, a group described by the FBI as intimately tied to the most senior Hamas leadership. 
and participated in an October 1993 meeting in Philadelphia with Hamas sympathizers and officials from the Holy Land Foundation, which raised $12 million for Hamas. Now, it's interesting to hear the Holy Land Foundation being brought up, because if you remember, when they raided, there was, the, there was a, a terror plot on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, the portion that's up near the D.C. area, and when they raided the house in which the person who was plotting the attack was residing, they found some interesting documents in, related, uh, in relation to the Holy Land Foundation. Now, those documents were basically a playbook on how to flip the United States into an Islamic country and to implement Sharia law. So it's interesting when you hear that brought up on numerous occasions. Kerr is an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land, uh, Holy Land Foundation case, and wiretap surveillance captured proof that Kerr's mission was to assist Sister Sama, its founder, somewhat opaque in her codename for Hamas, Care opened its first office with a $5,000 grant from the Holy Land Foundation. So obviously they're receiving some sort of support. The United Arab Emirates designated Care as a terrorist group in 2014. The State Department designated Hamas as a terrorist organization in 1997. And the U.S., Israel, and European Union have shut down organizations that funnel money to Hamas. Now we're already dealing with Hamas coming across the border with the uh, MS-13 uh, gangs and the cartels. Hezbollah, Hamas, both organizations have found a way to penetrate the southern border with the help of the drug cartels. But they're also finding their way to penetrating the political process, with Nancy Pelosi putting this person up there on, um, to, give the, uh, you know, to give the prayer of all things in the House of Representatives. Going back to the report, unfortunately, many companies like Apple, Amazon, even MasterCard have partnered with the Southern Poverty Law Center or it's used um, or used its hate group accusations to blacklist conservative organizations. It seems as though the philan uh, the philanthropies in the care report will not be blacklisted by these groups so quickly, but they need to understand that the sources behind this report are not to be trusted. So before these companies want to go out and take you down because of the fact that you're speaking out against radical Islam and you're speaking up for conservatism and, and American ideals, you could be penalized at some point if that's how you fund your organization, if that's how you make your living. Maybe it's how you uh, fund a super PAC. You know, they, you've got them already shutting down the sale of guns and, and ammo uh, with Citibank and Bank of America, and some of them don't want to have anything to do with it. Chase, I think. So you've got credit agencies, financial institutions, payment processors. We already see the shutdown of speech on any sort of criticism of Islam and criticism of leftist policies on social media. We have to realize that they probably will trust these people at some point. And we have to realize that the Democrat Party is letting them infect their party. I mean, Keith Ellison, before the whole scandal came up on that guy, he was going to be the head of the DNC. And we have to watch it here on the conservative side too, because Cutter, when the whole Khashoggi thing came up, Cutter showed their face in support of clamping down on Saudi Arabia and gaining support from the world in that fashion through conservative media, through the, the, 
you know, the talons that they've clamped in to conservative think tanks like the Brookings Institute, conservative media outlets. So we have to realize we are in a standoff that's pretty disturbing. We got to get ourselves back to American values and founding principles. That's the only way out. We also have to realize when this election cycle comes back around, these are the people that we're dealing with. Do you really want to vote for people that want to side with foreign enemies? Do you really want to vote for oppression of speech, oppression of viewpoints, shadow banning, the removal of the viewpoint of limited government? We have to think of these things when we go to the voting booth coming up in the next election because this is where we stand, gang. This is where the country is. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo50.com. Every Wednesday, 10 p.m. You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m., Sunday morning, midnight. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parler, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.